welcome to the Retro Dads Podcast. I'm your host, Retro Markey. And my name's Dan. Hello. <laughs> so, why are we doing this podcast, Dan? I don't know. Why are we doing this podcast, Mark? <laughs> we thought it would be a good idea for us to get together and talk about uh, where computing's come from, where video games have come from, where sci-fi's come from, uh, and to give it some perspective, I'd say, uh, compared to where we are now. And we're coming out from a, a kind of... Dad's age perspective, uh, and I think, in, in a way, strange way, I think Sirius is uh, dad's in uh, not that not the nookie have child kind of a way, <laughs> more of a um, we were there uh, as children and have grown up uh, around the era of computing. That's a very good point. So basically, between us, let's say more or less we've got thirty odd years. Uh, I started in nineteen eighty one, more or less with my ZX81. You're a little bit younger than me, but not much. Yeah. I do remember before that, I don't know whether you did, did you have any of those little pocket kind of, well, not pocket exactly, but those little handheld kind of... Devices, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Game, gaming devices. I certainly did. I mean, the era we grew up in, and, and we've talked about this in the past, mm. it was very kind of sci-fi heavy. That was the thing. It was very credible. Star Wars was going on. Blake 7 was a big thing for us. So we, we absolutely loved that. Um, and we grew up with expectations about technology. And handheld gaming was pretty much uh, a lot of people's first experience of bringing, you know, the joys of the arcade home. Mm, as that's it right. Were. So you'd be there in a motorway service station seeing golf <laughs> and games like that and desperately want to get your hands on it. And you got Astro Wars, which actually was a grandstand product, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, you're right. There was Scramble, Astro Wars, I believe. Yeah, and uh, I had some crazy Space Invaders game, which was not crazy at all, but at the time it was mind-blowing. Those things with the kind of LED uh, mm. circuits at the back. I remember, uh, yeah. And they used to chew up batteries like nobody's business or come with these adapters that broke every two seconds. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, yeah, certainly my, my first experience of those was it was a Space Invaders one. My dad's a bit of a gamer at heart, and he, he bought it for us, but also for him. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. So uh, which, which ones did you have? I did have Astro Wars. And also, um, I just remembered, do you remember the Game & Watch for Nintendo? I didn't that have a was, game watch. Yeah, and that was a handheld system with a little screen. You know what? The controller, the original controller built mm -hmm. into that little... It's like the size of a credit card. It's still the same that Nintendo are using now. It's wow. the same principle of the D-pad yep. and then a couple of those rubbery sort of buttons. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, they did a double screen one with Donkey Kong that I never had, um, but I did have one called Octopussy. So back then I was living in, just before I knew you, in Saudi Arabia, yeah. and technology was starting to sort of... Ex sort of explode at that time. I remember, so basically I had the Game & Watch, um, our neighbours had an Atari 2600, and also digital watches from Casio were cheap, uh, cheerful, and um, there was a calculator watch that I always wanted but didn't have, and that had a primitive Space Invaders game on it. So gaming, or games, were starting to creep in, even onto calculators at some point as mm -hmm. well. But I'll tell you what interests me, you mentioned um, some of the early sci-fi shows we grew up on. Mm -hmm. uh, one you didn't mention, I think my first sort of glimpse into computers was probably The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Do you remember the computer on that? It was absolutely huge, wasn't it? And yeah. what we're saying is these things instantiated uh, an expectation in our psyche about, you know, what should come in the future and uh, consumers' demand, as it were. It, it set us up nicely for, for what was to come, I think, really. 
And if you think about it, Douglas Adams pretty much invented something akin to the modern smartphone and the internet. Yeah. So if you remember with the um, with the Hitchhiker's book, it was an electronic device. Uh, you could access information from all around the galaxy. It was mm -hmm. portable. Yeah. It was pretty much uh, and, the modern smartphone. <laughs> and full of nonsense, which is absolutely like the internet Bang today. on then, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, he's a, he's a prophet, that guy, obviously. Um, also, I, I've got to say, Blake 7... Um, there were what two or three computers on that in the end. Yeah, there was Aurac. Yeah, there was Zen. Yeah, huh? And I think the other one was called uh, Slave in the final ship, Scorpio. Right. And I'm thinking Aurac. I think the Auric company stole that name from Auric. <laughs> the Auric One and the Auric Atmos. Those were two machines um, that rivaled the Spectrum. Came out about a year after. Yeah. Um, was sort of superior in the sense it had a better full sort of well, not full size keyboard, but. Yeah. Not a zombie flesh specky keyboard, some better sound effects, but never really quite took off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're going a bit off point now, I guess. Um, yeah, so it's an interesting idea that uh, early sci fi sort of was. When we say early, we're talking what, 77, 78, 79, yeah, late, around there? Late 70s, early 80s, um, you know, around that time, yeah. Okie dokie. Okie dokie, sound like Mario. Okie dokie. Yeah. So, uh, well, I mean, a, just a point on that. I think it's important that that era was a, a, a foundation. It was an exciting era. There was a lot of in invention and innovation going on at that time. This was pre-home computers as well, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there was obviously, uh, again, and I, I think, you know, art sometimes drives uh, w what comes thereafter. Uh, and I think things like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy did excite people and give them the what-if factor, and it motivates people to take technology and, and to mould it into certain shapes. And all that kind of stuff I saw as a, a foundation, uh, as it were, um, into the computing era that we're in today. So just, just a point... When we, uh, as kids, both went to see, we both went to see Jean-Michel Jarre mm. in Destination oh, God, yeah. Docklands, and he was promoting Revolutions, the album at the time. Yeah, I remember. Yep. So that was that was a, a great album for weirdos. Uh, about <laughs> two or three hundred thousand of us down in Docklands at the time, getting rained on. Not even sure if the concert was going to go ahead. But uh, he, uh, that album's quite interesting because it goes over a number of revolutions. One of which is the computing revolution. We're the children of that era, as it hmm. were. We're the dads of that era now. Our kids are growing up knowing nothing else frankly but we remember the days before mobile phones um, before um, even before VHS actually and oh, yeah. uh, you know fixed line telephones where you could get around the phone lock by tapping out the number to send a pole star <laughs> down to the exchange all that kind of nonsense so I, again I'm going off a tangent but I just you know it mm. is an important era and it's it's good to kind of have a look at the perspective of where we come from where we're going to and it actually I think put some perspective on where we are now when people mm. talk about mm -hmm. computing and games and and what they want out of it and you know sometimes you know there's a sense of entitlement and that things just happen you think actually what we have now is pretty miraculous I think the other thing is what's changed is gamers uh, or consumers are a lot more fussy than we were we were living in a very experimental time and a game wasn't such a big event. If it was good, it was a good bonus. If it was bad, we went, oh, okay, that's not a very good game. But it wasn't that same sort of sense of, um, it wasn't the end of the world if a game was... Junk. Yeah. Or even if it was really, really good. Mm -hmm. Because things were changing constantly. Um, I'm not really sure what my point is now. But... No, no, no. I, 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 I totally, <laughs> I, I I guess, totally yeah, get your point. Gaming wasn't such a big part of our lives back then it was mm. something we did 
as well as riding a bike and messing around in the woods or climbing trees. It was just another option. Whereas I feel like, and I'm including myself in this, that now playing a game has become uh, quite a big sort of cultural event. There are YouTube videos, people criticizing, critiquing. I mean, there's a whole media all around. I mean, when Zelda came out at what the end of last year or the middle of last year, whenever mm. it was, yep. I mean, it was hu- it was a huge thing. Yep. Um, and we never had that. It was just between ourselves. Well, it was what you and I played and our mates. Yep. That was it. Exactly. The, the genres are defined now and the expectation is set. So when things come out, people have benchmarks to measure against. Whereas when, you know, we grew up computing, home computing, kicked off and the games came out every game was an experiment yeah and you can take a look you know arrange two games so on the one hand david brabham uh, elite and revs was, of course yeah yeah, yeah uh, jeff cram and uh, revs mm. yeah and um you know these were brilliant games done on 32k that were fantastic then you take a look at grange hill <laughs> on the spectrum uh by, by contrast and you can see people didn't know what they were doing they were coding a thing yeah some people really got it right and mm. some people got it vastly wrong but at the time we just accepted that kind of thing frankly didn't we and just uh rolled with it as it were yeah so i was going to ask you just to change the topic um how did we meet do you remember uh, because that is connected to computers so i thought it'd be an interesting little anecdote to to go into to, to give some background about us yeah. actually i think uh, i had uh, that section of my brain surgically removed so, <laughs> so so i could never remember that moment you were friends with my brother at the time mm. um uh my brother was into all the kind of things you're not really like uh, cricket and football <laughs> didn't he love that kevin tom's football manager or something he, he did he was a big football manager fan but of course then uh, uh we met through my brother and, uh, oh, and Andy P, of course. Uh, and of course, Andy Andy P, who, who had was... a BBC Micro. I'm not saying that's why he was my friend, but it didn't uh, it certainly didn't hurt that he had a BBC Micro. Uh, he, he was a character in our lives, certainly, uh, Andy P. And we all got together uh, mm-hmm. and had a love of gaming, as well as just the general things in life in terms of growing up, in an era where you were free to bomb them out on your bike, mm. play in the woods, find biscuit tins in the woods with interesting <laughs> things in them but also um you know just to have the the kind of fun that kids i don't think really get today in this era where there's so much fear uh, mm. around uh, kids and protection of kids and that kind of thing so that's how we got together and uh, yeah we both at the time both had uh, the same computer 8-bit computer we did have the acorn electron and um i don't think you ever knew at the time but me and andy were um a little bit fearful because we knew your dad was a Cop. It was a copper, yeah. yeah, and we were at that age, and we were like, <gasps> if he catches us uh, copying a game, are we going to end up in prison for this or in trouble? <laughs> uh, of course, now, you you know, it's, it's obviously a, it was naive at the time, but we genuinely did feel like that. So that was the thing at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of games, you would have uh, games were on tape, uh, C15 tapes. That's right. And uh, tape-to-tape devices were prevalent. There was no protection, really. So if, if your mate had a game you liked, uh, you know, sorry, uh, Ultimate and uh, <laughs> Notion and Imagine and yeah. people like that, but uh, tape-to-tape it was, and then you had a copy for yourself. Well, to be fair, though, I do remember that even, even back when I was a kid, I still understood that if a game, if I had maybe copied a game or borrowed one and it was that good, I would buy it. Yeah, you know, a game like Whistball, for example, Last Ninja Two on the sixty-four. Um, you wanted the originals if they were good enough. Oh, absolutely, I, I agree. And the thing was, ten quid for a game back then was a lot of oh, money. Yeah. You know, that was a couple of weeks worth of paper round money just for a game that could turn out to be rubbish. 
frankly. And I know from personal experience, taking a game back into a shop and saying, this this game's junk, will not get you your money back. Certainly didn't in WH Smith's in uh, Swindon. That's absolutely right, yeah. So, um, yeah, the Acorn Electron, should we talk about a little about that? Um, I've got mixed feelings on it, even to this day. I think um, it, it was a remarkable machine. They basically halved the cost of the BBC Micro, which was pretty popular, especially in education, but also a good gaming machine, especially when it came to arcade clones. Um, I don't know how they got away with some of those back in the day, by the way. I mean, <laughs> they might have changed the name, but Snapper was Pac-Man, basically. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Planetoid was Defender. But um, So the Electron did half, they did manage to produce a BBC clone for half the price. Unfortunately, it was cut down, wasn't it? Yeah, it had some weird things about it. There was a couple of things that frustrated us at the time. I know it had three-channel sound, but it could only play one channel at any one time, I seem to remember. Uh, and the, the big one for us was lack of Mode 7, of course, yeah. which meant that we couldn't... Because you could technically play some BBC games mm-hmm. uh, and run them on the Acorn Electron, yeah. but there were some games, revs, where it just wouldn't work. Well, actually, unfortunately, it was the games you wanted. Yes. Basically, I mean, well, no, no, to be fair, I mean, a really good version of Elite came out on the Electron. Um, they cut down by removing the colour, I seem to remember, but the game was the same, maybe slightly slower. Yeah, and they, they actually they had to remove some of the enemies, and unfortunately they removed the Thargoids. Oh, that's a good point. They, uh... Yeah. And of course, I mean, it's, it's, I, I never would have imagined back then that nearly 40, well, maybe 30-odd years later, that a version of Elite would come out on modern systems and be such a huge success. I know we're going back, what, two, three years. I'm still quite blown away by the fact that the original game, that original concept, is pretty much still still alive and kicking. Yeah, and that's a good now and then uh, um, example. Just to cut in on that, the reason we got our Acorn Electron, I'm convinced, although Dad said it was for educational purposes, and I, I, you know... I don't think we had a huge amount of money, so getting an Acorn Electron was a big thing for us. But Mm -hmm. it it came with Elite, and I think Dad had spotted Elite and thought it might be fun to play. When we had that, I spent many hours with my dad, and we'd swap. One would man the guns, basically the space bar. uh, So you played it together? Yeah, we played it together for absolutely hours. And it's quite weird. My dad's retired now, but he has a PC. Mm -hmm. And... uh, um, uh, although it's, mine's not up and running, um, I have a PC as well. So we have had some time, uh, you know, a whole generation la- uh, later when I've got kids now. But uh, I've played Elite again with my dad but over the internet, sharing the same space on this wow. new version. Uh, and myself wearing a, a VR headset at the time as well. So things have really gone on from this kind of uh, CRT, uh, uh, <laughs> one or two uh, frames a second, wireframe thing where you had to be practically on top of each other to to share the game and play it which we did for hours and hours and to now having this kind of you know virtual real, reality play um and both participating in in the same shared universe me and my dad out in an asteroid belt hunting down pirates it's just a quite a surreal experience and so actually coming on from that i mean i was going to mention maybe in this podcast um the future of gaming do you think you, you mentioned uh, virtual reality is that still the future what do we think about that uh personally so i mean it's an amazing uh tech it is yeah uh, uh, and but i know there's a an industry trying to be be built around it um if we go back to you know handheld gaming the the joy of grandstand astro walls was i could just pick it up 
and I, I would drill into the screen, you know, with one of those magnifying lenses uh, <laughs> over it and uh, pick it up and play. VR is it's an uh, immersive experience, but it's so intrusive in terms of cabling. It's a commitment, isn't it? You've got to decide, okay, for the next few hours, I'm going to go into my virtual world. Yeah, and there, there are a lot of things you've got to do, tricky little things like uh, where the hell am I going to bar- balance my uh, gin and tonic <laughs> uh, and, and not, not knock the thing over whilst I'm playing the game or your cup of tea if you're that way. Well, being dads as well, you've got family and children and pets to feed and all sorts of... So you've got to keep your eye on things, uh, as it were. So my feeling at the moment is they got it right with uh, Astro Wars in terms of the convenience. (laughs) This is brilliant in terms of tech terms. And anybody who's not tried virtual reality, when you put it on, you do have this moment where you think, wow. It is mind-blowing. The moment you turn your head and uh, you suddenly realise... You just keep saying, wow, don't you? The first time you play it, you're like, wow, oh my God, wow, wow, oh my God, wow. It's it's mind-blowing. But with the cables we've got at the moment, it doesn't overcome the inconvenience Mm. um, of having all that everywhere. And also, there's a financial outlay. You need to really spend top dollar on graphics cards and things like that, which we know cost a fortune because of um, uh, cryptocurrency mining, that kind of thing. Is yeah, I've heard the that's, um, that's put a bit of pressure on you know, the graphics cards. Although I do believe now, I might, I'm pretty sure that there are graphics cards being made specifically now for mining. So, In terms of the question, you know, do we think VR is a future mm. game? Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a future, but I think there's... Um, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, not the future, but it's definitely one of the options, yeah. our future. So handheld devices and things like that have got a big uh, part to play. Look at the Nintendo Switch. It just shows that people like high-quality graphics, but the convenience of sitting on the bog and playing a game <laughs> as it were rather than having to plumb yourself in literally into into a virtual reality I mean talking of um, talking about Nintendo as well I'm thinking about some of their differences even with the switch one of the things I've always liked about them is they don't rely on kind of online gaming uh, anywhere near in the same way that the PC world and, and the PS4, etc., PS3, Xboxes do. And it's always struck me that Nintendo have still got that kind of couch gaming mentality. What I mean by that is you can play it by yourself quite happily, or maybe you play against a couple of friends, but you're all in the same physical space. Yeah. Um, do you think that's something Nintendo are getting right? Uh, absolutely. They seem to have... Um they're very cautious, I think, about their online presence. I think some people think maybe that's a mistake, but I think it's it's quite good. Certainly when I want to have all the bandwidth for myself, um, I don't want to fight for my children. I'm quite grateful that they're using Nintendo products <laughs> that actually are very much about um, getting together and physical presence. So, yeah, uh, I'd say so. So moving on, I was thinking um, we talked quite a bit about the, about the past today. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you playing right now? Well, as you probably know, uh, th- there is one game that dominates uh, every waking hour of my life at the moment. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in my spare time, I do run a little YouTube channel uh, called mm-hmm. Destiny Dog Gaming, where uh, I focus on a game called Destiny. A lot of people like that game. It's not, for some reason, it hasn't crossed my path as yet. I won't say I don't like it, but um, yeah, it seems to have a big big following it yeah it's, it's an interesting game it's it's in its second iteration now so destiny one went for a number of years and went through a, a series of revisions and uh 
um, uh, expansions, paid for expansions. Um, they got the game into a really good place, but unfortunately, uh, the sequel seems to be uh, a much simplified version of the game where they, they've simplified the core mechanics. And whereas uh, there was a lot of praise for it at launch, it's been an interesting ride, a looter shooter type game. Uh, but the, the complexity of, of the way the game has been uh, designed um, certainly lacking in the second version and it's being found out by the community and unfortunately the audience for that game seems to be dwindling quite rapidly and uh, we're hoping that um, the, the developers Bungie can pull it out of the fire and make the changes that are necessary to make that game uh, uh, work uh, sooner rather than later and bring the audience back but uh, for, for anybody who's not played Destiny um, it is a first person um, shooter stroke uh, RPG type uh, game and uh, it's uh, as I said a looter shooter so the loot you get is what uh, keeps you coming back from all the guns the armor the, the you know other weaponry and what have you there's a huge PvP element uh, to the game uh, but there's also uh, a lot of PvE exploration and that kind of thing so yeah that is uh, practically uh, uh, everything I've played in just Destiny is just I, 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 Destiny, <laughs> well, Destiny one Destiny two I should say Destiny yeah. one and Destiny two oh right okay um, but uh, so that's what I've been what about yourself what have you been uh, mostly I mean recently I've been playing it's taken me a time to get round to playing but The Witcher three um, is actually blowing my mind away right now incredible RPG incredibly beautiful um, sucking up a lot of my time. And uh, over the Christmas period, I finally picked up Persona 5 on um, the PS3, believe it or not. I still run uh, my PS3 quite happily. And uh, Persona 5 is a mind-blowingly good game if you're a fan of anime. And, of course, um, uh, it's an RPG, but it's not an action RPG. It's a turn-based battle system. So if you're a fan of Final Fantasy, that kind of thing, uh, incredible game, incredible story. Uh, I think I mentioned it to you before that it's one of the few games I've played for quite a number of years where I wake up thinking about it. Um, and uh, that only happens with very special games like it did with games like Super Metroid and some of the early Zelda games. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I've also, because um, you know, I've also got a retro computer game channel and I've been um, playing a new game on the Commodore 64, which is... Uh, called Sam's Journey, very much a, um, in quotes, Mario-inspired uh, game, as in the early Mario game on the NES. And for a 64 game, it's mind-blowingly good. So when when was that originally produced? That uh, only came out a few weeks back. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been very lucky to get one of the first uh, editions. Um, of the cartridges actually sold out almost immediately. It's a very anticipated game A lot game of people indeed. don't associate the Commodore 64 with cartridge games, but it mm. was a huge thing for it, wasn't it? Um, it was, but not so much in Britain. I don't recall us having many games on cartridge. Maybe some of the early Commodore ones. Uh, so funnily enough, I would say, at least in the UK, that Commodore 64 cartridges, there's probably more now, more games, more sold now than there were originally. But is it interesting? What a versatile computer. So you had uh, tape? Yeah. You had the world's slowest disk drive, <laughs> and you had cartridge. It had it all. They they didn't hold back in terms of what you could do with the Commodore. I mean, I could do a whole, and I, maybe we will do. A, I think we should do a longer segment some at some point on the Commodore sixty four. But um, I'm not sure. I have thought about this. I'm not sure whether Commodore or somebody in Commodore was a genius at looking forward, or a madman, or a madman who just was just got it lucky because 
you know what the Commodore 64 it's the SID chip and the and the Vic the Vic chip with its sprites mm-hmm. has made it still what it is today an incredible machine for demos and games you know machines like the BBC Micro on paper were more or less superior but that sprite capability mm-hmm. plus the SID chip and plus really it was the I mean a computer's only as good as the people who program it and the, the you know the demo scene and the game scene really I mean, if you look at early Commodore 64 games, they're awful. Yeah. Some of them are worse than Spectrum or BBC games because they mm-hmm. haven't been, they didn't, they haven't figured out how to program it yet. And it wasn't the easiest machine to program um, compared to, say, the Beeb, which had an, an assembler that was built into BASIC. Yeah. Um, a bigger ROM and everything else. Um, the, the Commodore 64, you have to poke everything. It's a bit of a difficult, messy, horrible thing mm-hmm. to, to program. But... It's the machine, I would say. I've been retro computing quite a long time, and it just keeps growing. Yeah. It really does. So it's interesting that, um, you know, we're talking about what are we playing now in 2017, mm. and, and we talk about, you know, modern computer games and what have you, but the retro scene is still massive. And actually, testament to that uh, are these kind of reboot consoles that have come out, the NES and SNES minis that have come out. Certainly my kids, uh, Father Christmas, uh, brought, uh, a, a SNES Mini for them, not not for me. <laughs> and um, the the console's been a hit. So uh, hold on a second. Your, what, nine, ten-year-old boys are yeah. retro video gamers. Absolutely. That I never would have expected. Yeah, not only that, actually, I've got to tell you this. This is uh-huh. quite interesting. So they, they've, they're into the lore around these characters and things. like. So Metroid is a, is a big thing for them. Mm. And my, my eight-year-old... And rightly so, yes. Yeah, my, my eight-year-old has told me twice now, he's taken me to one side, and he said, you know what, I've, I've taken a look at these, and I think that um, the, the early games were better. No and way. It, you know, no, this is what he's told me. He said, I think the later games... They, they they ran out of ideas and they were trying new things. So he's done this comparison <laughs> and telling me why he thought the older games were stronger. We and should get him on the podcast, I know, though, for I a Metroid special. He is a, a wise young chap. This is the same kid who did a picture earlier on of, um, what was the name of that character? Mr. Tumble. But he had refitted uh, Samus's laser gun onto his arm, which I thought was a, a stroke of genius for an eight-year-old. Brilliant boy. But, you know, the retro scene is really alive and well. Lots of people loving it. Some great games. And they really are strong still, aren't they? And you know what? Again, I've got to give my take my hat off to Nintendo, who it may, might have taken them a bit of time, but they realised the retro scene was worth money, and they released the NES Mini, which they released in small numbers, which drove us all nuts because the you know the prices went horrendous, and they still are. But they got it right with the SNES Mini, mm-hmm. um, the perfect dad gift. Well, and even in, in in your case, not just a dad gift, but for the fans of Nintendo who've grown to an age and started to get curious and say, where did this come from? What was the first Metroid or, or the early Mario games like? Yeah. Um, and with, and with the SNES, they released it with two controllers. And they I got was it right, didn't they? Absolutely delighted when, when my, uh, my 10-year-old uh, picked up a controller and we both played Street Fighter 2. And I thought, I'll be easy on him. And then he kicked my backside. <laughs> it was it was awful. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, yeah, there you go, son. And then I walked away smarting from that one. It was it was tough. Okay, well, I think we've had uh, quite a long chat today. Um, I've really enjoyed doing episode one. be interesting to see if there are any... Uh, 
any comments on things we could do a little bit differently for the next episode but um, yeah this this was obviously introductory and uh, yeah. we will bring some structure into yes. future podcasts but um i think this kind of sets the scene for us and yeah. uh, it'd be nice to to hear from other kind of uh, retro dads as it were who yeah. were in the modern era loving old and new computing alike absolutely We'll leave it there, and uh, we're looking forward to doing the next one. So I'll say ciao for now. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for listening. And goodbye. I'm having the last word. <laughs>